Welcome to Incubator by Planet Ant Podcasts. My name is Mike McGettigan, executive producer of the network. At Planet Ant, we pride ourselves on exploring new talent and bringing new voices to the stage. So we're bringing that to the world of podcasting. We'll regularly feature six-episode short-run series commissioned exclusively for the Incubator podcast. Some of these might become full-run podcasts of their own, and some might just stay within what we're doing here. Incubator. Stick around. You might like what's next. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Intro the show, Justin. It's it's your job. Intro the show. Welcome to Worst in the Industry podcast, the show where we three pinko mooks deeply delve into the darkest clefts of international industry, dragging, hissing, and clawing out from the darkness under the rug the illusion of ethical profiteering. My name is Justin St. Peter, and no animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. To my metaphorical right, I am joined by... Colin Stanley, and if you think a horse and a bread box are reasonable sizes to measure the rest of the things in your house by, I would greatly appreciate that. And my name's Tyler, and uh, I'm not a cop. Are, are you, Yeah, though? you'd have to tell us yeah, if you're you have to yeah. tell us if you're a cop. Yeah, I'm not a cop. I feel like that goes without saying. The fact that you brought it up actually makes me suspicious yeah, of you. Colin, could you talk a little louder and into my... Into my jacket, oh, you please. The big, the big red plastic flower on your chest. Yeah, please talk in the. Yeah, back. no, I could do that. Oh, I actually, actually, get close to it. Get close to it. Get close. Would to you it. like me to? Would you? Would oh, you, uh, would you, would uh, you like me to read? Oh, oh, oh sorry. Uh, it's gonna squirt would water. Would you like on me to read it's my gonna, social security water, yeah. number and the last? <laughs> would you like me to read my driver's license? Yeah, driver's license number, license number would, would be great. We can't really look up social security numbers. General approximation of my height, weight, and eye color. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, well, actually, you're did you're you in guys... between a bread box and a horse. That's good enough. Perfect. Thank you. Appreciate it. Did you guys know that cops are legally allowed to have sex with people as part of their cover, even though that's literally rape? Yeah. It's great. Well, I'll go to worse than the industry. Yeah. Uh, together, the three of us sift through the mounds of shit launched at speed by the media to bring you only the finest morsels of pure rage out there. Today, we're diving back into Nestle, a corporation so big if you laid its revenue out in dollars end to end, it would encircle the earth. 40,000 times. Last episode, a lot of cheddar. we explored a lot of cheddar. the history. What was a that? Scratch. A lot of scratch. Yeah. A lot, a lot, of, cheddar. lot of cheddar. A lot of bread. Mm, cheddar. Need a lot of horses to fit all the bread boxes that that bread could fill. I want enough cheese to encircle the earth 40,000 times. Last episode, we explored the history of one of the world's largest chocolate companies and their sordid history with the Nazi party, as well as their ever-increasing contributions to the destruction of the global ecosystem. Well, today, we are going to cover some more sobering misdeeds of Nestle Global, and heralded by the sound of grinding teeth to come talk about Nestle's privatization of water is our very own Colin Stanley. My mouth sounds like a fork got caught in the garbage disposal. Uh, I would like to mention, I would just like to comment on, on a little bit of that intro. You said there's sordid history with the Nazi party. I feel like unless the history was killing the Nazi party... You don't have to say sorted. 
that's just a little note I'm going to add to the episode. Why, why would killing the Nazi party be sorted? That's what I'm saying, is that the, that's the only circumstance where dealing with the Nazi party is not sorted. Yeah, but it... It just feels like gilding the lily a bit. It's called fluffing a like, sentence, Colin. All right. Anyway, so yeah, I'm going to talk about water privatization. Uh, it's uh, I'll, I'll, let me let me let us get this out front. The official stance of the show: it's bad. It's really bad. It's really bad to make money uh, off of selling people the thing that they need to be alive that you can't survive like more than three days without. It's like very very bad to do it, and and if you do it, you're bad. Uh, now. We're not going to really examine whether or not it's bad that they do it in this episode, but whether or not it's legal, uh, it's also not. If you like look through a lot of this, it's really illegal, the things that they do. Even the fucked up, cucked as hell laws that we have to regulate these companies uh, aren't really effective in doing so. Yeah. And we're going to get into fucking why that is, too, because I didn't spend just nights grinding my teeth and fucking drinking straight goddamn rum out of the bottle of, of the fucking pint that I bought from the party store around the corner from my house for nothing. I didn't do it for nothing. I did it to make this episode. And uh, now I'm gonna just push all the fucking juice out of my brain and into the, the airwaves and then never touch it again. And then never touch it again. Ugh. So let's hear it, Colin. Alright, so... <laughs> Oh, I take my cookies out of the oven? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, just as long as you remembered that. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Fuck you. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Get him out of the oven before the show starts. I did. I just couldn't remember that instance. Coors is a hell of a drug. Fuck. Not even true. So I'm going to start out with a, uh, just a brief history of Nestle's involvement in the water bottling, water privatization industry. So at about 1969, uh, Nestle owned a 30% stake in, in a, and a, there's a bunch of French names through here. So uh, I'm not going to apologize for how bad I'm going to pronounce them, but I will not pronounce them very well. So in 1969, Nestle had a 30% stake in the, Société Générale des Minerales de Vite, and it acquired a controlling interest uh, in that company, in that group, of January of 1992. And then May of that year, they would go on to buy the Perrier Group. That same year, they launched a mineral water line, Valver, as kind of a novelty in five different countries. Five years later, 1997, it had a worldwide market pre presence, and it acquired San Pellegrino. They just got all the static water. Yeah, apparently they want just a, a, a real solid chunk of that angry water market. Mm-hmm. But these acquisitions were over by about 1998, uh, when Nestle, for the first time in the company's history, would release a, a bottled water with its name directly associated, Nestle Pure Life. In April 2002, Nestle would rename that to Nestle Waters. And today, Nestle Waters is established in about 130 countries and markets. 
basically covering about 77 different brands. Now, if, if you've heard about the, the Nestle water privatization issue, you've probably heard um, the big like headline maker that Nestle CEO does not support water as a human right. And that's true and it's not true. So, Peter, again, these fucking French names, goddamn. Peter Blabec Lamath served as Nestle's CEO from 1997 to 2008. He would go on to serve as chairman of the board for a time, but is currently chairman emeritus, which is a, a senior uh, board member, essentially. So, somebody who doesn't quite have the authority of an, ex of an officer within the company, but somebody whose opinion holds quite a bit of sway and who has a considerable amount of control over how the board operates. Now, in 2005, there's a documentary called We Feed the World. Now, it's I couldn't find an English translation except for a few, a few pieces of transcripts here and there. Um, but if you want to go and try and find one or pay for one, be my guest. It's it's basically a, a, a Swiss documentary about how Switzerland has this huge agrarian industry that doesn't really get to use a lot of the things they produce. Like they mentioned that all of their corn is used for fuel, like it just gets burned and that they have to import all their corn from India. Just weird, just weird stuff. like to imagine that Switzerland is powered by popcorn. I mean, that and Nazi gold, basically. That's what I like to call corn. Corn on the cob, Nazi gold. <laughs> corn on the cob is Nazi Hide the corn on the cob. Find the, the Nazi corn. gold. Hide the corn. Hide the corn. Behold, a pale corn cob. Where, where do you hide your corn cobs? It's in my asshole. That's Aww. Low hanging fruit. That's what we do That's here. What call, That's what we do here. At That's what I call a corn cob that pokes out of my asshole. It's a low hanging. That's what fruit. we do here. Are worse <laughs> in the industry. We go for the easy jokes, easy yucks. Easy jo hey man, all the jokes that you have at home thought of, we've already thought of them. And not only have we already thought of them, you're listening to them right now. Our creative process is so specific that all of the jokes that you have thought of, we already thought of them and went through them. And weeded them out. We decided that we don't want to think too hard about making funny jokes, so we're just going to tell the ones that are immediately uh, obvious yeah. to any Tom, Dick, and Jane walking by. We're like memes for Republicans. <laughs> yeah, we're not funny. We're not. We're not trying to like you know be smart we're not or funny, coy about but we anything. are extremely racist. Just nail-bitingly racist. Just fucking. Small town in Arkansas in 1995 when NWA's just fucking so racist. Well, I mean, you guys haven't been too bad. You haven't let a G word slip yet. A what? The, uh, the G word. I mean, you almost said it earlier in our intro. I'm, I'm thinking, are you talking about? Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> well, I mean, we haven't even dropped the JQ yet. Oh, God, no. In the 2005 documentary, We Feel the World, they interviewed Nestle's CEO, who said this word for word. It's the exact quote within the context of them asking him about the question of water privatization within the world. Context to that is important, because he's going to mention it later, this segment. Water is, of course the most important raw material we have today in the world. 
Wait, let me start over. This is Peter Barbeck Lemaitre. Water is, of course, the most important raw material we have today in the world. It's a question of whether or not we should privatize the normal water supply for the population. There are two different opinions on the matter. The one opinion, which I think is extreme, is represented by the NGOs who bang on about declaring water a public right. That means that as a human being, you should have a right to water. That's an extreme solution. The other, <laughs> the other view says that water is a foodstuff like any other, and like any other foodstuff, it should have a market value. Personally, I believe it's better to give a foodstuff a value so that we're all aware it has its price and that then that one should take specific measures for the part of the population that has no access to this water. And there are many different possibilities there. So if you could parse my really shitty French accent. Yeah, did you want to drink uh, some more milk before that or... Just a whole mangle of milk. I could really hear you'd hear every consonant you didn't pronounce. Good old French. So if you could if you if you could follow along with that, we're gonna post that in the chat and also the video in the chat. Post that in the show notes. And also uh the video of him saying that. He's saying that water has a value he said water should have a value. Because there's a price associated with extracting it from the earth. And that is the line specifically that I'm going to drill down on. Drill. Funny. It's a, it's a pun in reference to water extraction. Hey, and, al- and also how earlier you were talking about how you're going to make a mousetrap involving drills to kill yourself and make yourself a Dahmer. Zombie. Not a, not a mousetrap. A Rube Goldberg suicide machine. Yeah. And he, was, he wasn't going to Dahmer zombie himself. He was going to liquefy his insides. Oh, right, 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 right. I was very upset at the time. I feel like I'm being attacked and maligned. Yeah, but that was like three hours ago. Everything's fine now. And also, we both said it was a good idea. I'm a different man. Different man with different values. I made a jerk-off appointment. Okay, things are different now. But yeah, Con, you should, it's they're not called geez. that anymore. They're called massages. Okay. Oh, wow. He says water has its price, which is true. Water does have its price, but we're gonna find out through the rest of the segment who actually pays that price. It's not fucking Nestle. Tell you that much right now. So right after. Nestle has taken over the global bottled water market for the most part, owns about a third of it. 1998, Nestle begins the excavation and processing of groundwater in Pakistan. This is about 10 years after they started their dairy operation in the country. So last episode, Tyler had talked about their baby formula. They've expanded that kind of work into just general dairy processing. So milk, butter, for a lot of places in Eastern Europe and the Middle East, very popular are dairy products because a lot of the times these folks aren't eating a lot of meat because either it's too expensive or it's against a specific religion that they hold. So a great way to get fat into your diet is through dairy. So 
even going to talk about that too much, but Nestle is monopolizing these people's essential diets, things they need to, like, not starve and look like fucking walking skeletons. But ten years after they started that, they start pulling fucking water out of Pakistan's water table. A water table that has been noted in literally every fucking source that I read for this goddamn segment. Extremely limited. Pakistan has very little fucking water in its water table. It's not that much. It's a small, arid country. Yeah, very arid, very dry. It's like Oklahoma, but if Oklahoma had access to an entire military. Thank God Oklahoma doesn't have access to an entire military. There's not enough people in Oklahoma to form a military. There's like 20. We just want to apologize to our Oklahoma listeners. Yeah, That's, sorry, I'm not, sorry okay, to my extended I'm sorry. family. I'm not saying that Texarkana smells like a fart fucked a cum bubble. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying that Oklahoma doesn't have a lot of people in it, which is easily fact-checkable and true. Oh, I mean, if, Oklahoma if, is the chapped asshole of the United States, but... If, I disagree. If somebody could isolate that audio and just send it to all of the... Uh, oh, when I said that Texarkana smells like a fart fucked a cum bubble? Yeah, no, we were talking that, about something else. That's also easily fact-checkable. And true. So in 2003, Nestle begins uh, attempts at building uh, a second water excavation plant within Pakistan. Uh, near Karachi, which if you're familiar with Pakistan at all, it's an enormous city. Uh one of the only cities that rivals its population is Islamabad, a uh, huge city. It's like the Pakistan equivalent of like an, N- an NYC or Chicago. Also, fun fact, Kumail Nanjiani from Karachi. He's hmm. fucking shredded. Yeah. He's fucking cut. That dude's cum gutters are so well defined. <laughs> Please don't ever call them cum gutters ever again. What else do you want me to call them? Anything else. Kyle. I don't even know what you're referring to, and I don't know. That's fantastic. His fucking juice sluices? Yeah, those are great. <laughs> God. They're hard-edged, and they make me hard-edged. Well, we know you're into edging, Colin. We all know that. He's an attractive man. That's all I'm trying to say, okay? God damn. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, but... <laughs> I mean, from the neck down. Is <laughs> he a... He's a handsome man. Kumail Nanjiani has a charming face. Charming Dude, face. Dude, after he lost, like, after he cut down on weight and, like, fucking cut down on his body fat, his face just, like, trimmed up. Yeah, I don't like it. He looks like Mickey Rourke. No, Mickey Rourke looks like he fucking got melted. Mickey Rourke does look bloated as hell, though. He looks like if, uh... If you left a can of PBR in your trunk during the summer. Almost as bloated as Glenn Danzig. Almost just wet Glenn Danzig. Fucking slopping chocolate cake into his mouth backstage. He doesn't drink anymore. Because Glenn Danzig's a huge pussy. I think we're going to have to bleep that out. Yeah, probably. He's a poser. I don't know what you want me to say about it. I don't think we can legally threaten violence against people. Yeah, no, I didn't uh, say, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I'm going to. No, but you still say, you shouldn't say that they should be. I shouldn't say that they should. Okay. If Glenn Danzig was set on fire (laughs) publicly, I wouldn't be sad about it. All right, I think that's legally fine. We can leave that one. We'll bleep out the other one. 
Tyler, Tyler, editing Tyler. Just leave that in. If you leave that <laughs> in, I'll take full responsibility. We can't be sued for libel. Yes, we for can. Be an LLC. I guess we could be sued for inciting violence. Yes, we can. Absolutely. Tar- could be. Targeted harassment. <laughs> and we know Glenn, Glenn, San- Glenn Danzig's litigious. Colin, we can't get a cyberbullying strike on us. Melania Trump is on the cyberbullying. Glenn Danzig is like a less talented Lars Ulrich, which is almost impossible to pull off. Yeah, Lars Ulrich can barely breathe, let alone play drums. I love watching videos of Metallica playing concerts nowadays because the parts, the, the, the drums, if they're not playing a song from like before 1995... Lars can and will literally stand for the entire fucking song because he only has to play like two beats per five minutes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's fucking great. Lars has just slowly been trying to fade himself out of the band so that he can still get all the money but not have to actually play an instrument anymore <laughs> or show up on stage. Yeah, it's like uh, one of my friends, he went and saw Judas Priest uh, a couple years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, and uh, the singer. Mind me his name? Uh, no, but I will tell you that when my dad, when I told my dad for the first time that I liked heavy metal, he went, Judas Priest, great bunch of flaming faggots they are. Oh, God. <laughs> went, Thanks, Dad. I'm wearing a P.F. Chang's right uh, now. Rob, Rob Halford. Um, apparently, he spent most of the concert with the mic turned around to the crowd and let the crowd sing. But they don't know any of the songs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's like if that's like if uh, Megadeth tried to have a concert. Yeah, if you like Megadeth, I'm sorry, you should probably pick a better band to like. So in 2003, Nestle would begin attempts at building a second uh, water processing and extraction uh, extraction plant in Pakistan near the city of Karachi. Um, but this plant wasn't actually intended to service the people of Karachi. Or even the southern region of Pakistan. The water that was processed here was intended to be shipped to neighboring Afghanistan, specifically the Kandahar Air Base, which was currently under occupation by the U.S. military. Kandahar Air Base, the place where nothing bad ever happens. Hmm. Not once, not ever. Now, I say attempted. Because in 2004, it was determined by the Sindh High Court, which is not quite a Supreme Court, but a a high-level court within Pakistan, that, and I quote, no civilized society shall permit an unfettered exploitation of its natural resources. And Nestle was restrained from commercial and industrial activity in the region for a while. Because in 2007, four years later, they were able to open that Karachi plant. Now, it, it bears, bears mentioning that the plot of land that they had a quote-unquote acquired was a 20-acre plot that they were leasing from the regional government, the provincial government, for zero charge. They were not paying for even the land that they were getting it on. They weren't paying anything for the water they were taking out of the water table. It was already extremely limited. They weren't even going to give Pakistanis the fucking water when they were fucking done with it. 2007, plant opens anyway. 11 years later, 
a forensic audit report on the bottled water businesses of the Pakistani subset of Nestle would be submitted before Supreme Court. And they showed that the company had paid virtually no amount of money to any government department for the four and a half billion with a B liters of water they extracted between 2013 and 2017. And the figures that showed they extracted that much also showed that almost 2 billion of the total 4.4 billion liters of water were wasted. So that's a 43% loss. That's almost half. Almost half of the water they're taking out of a water table that is barely sustained by its own existence. Half of it, they're just pissing away. Now, Nestle Pakistan, their management team, said that 15% of that water was wasted during their reverse osmosis process, which is a very common process in water treatment. Basically, I'm not going to get too much into it, but you're, you're passing the water through a membrane to remove other debris, bacteria, stuff like that. It's very, very common. And it's normal that there is a degree of water lost here. The problem is they could not account for the rest of the water loss, 28%. So almost a third of the water they're pumping out of this water table that is rapidly draining, that barely exists, in an area with a incredibly hot temperatures and incredibly low groundwater quality. Groundwater that's full of pollutants and bacteria that literally kills people. A third of the quote-unquote clean water that they're creating is just disappearing. And I say, quote unquote, clean water, because the chief justice who had visited the Nestle site near Karachi, where the company was given land on a lease that they paid nothing for, he said that a sample of Nestle water that was brought to him on that trip was found not to be fit for human consumption. So not only are they taking all this water out of the ground that the ground itself could barely afford to give up, not only are they losing a bunch of it. But the process that they used to justify their existence in the country were providing safe, clean drinking water to a region that can't have it on its own because all the groundwater here is fucked up and poisonous and polluted and filled with dest destructive bacterias. The water they are producing can't even be consumed by human beings. Good God. This is the part where you guys like come in with like jokes. I can't. I can't really yeah, make a joke like, about that. Yeah, I Colin. can't think of a fucking joke, Colin. Ah, uh, man, like uh, sounds sounds like they're trying. Sounds like the the hot dog water out of the the vendors you see outside of uh, Fenway Park. I would rather drink that water. Yeah, I'd rather drink. The Honestly, hot dog I've water. flavored uh, guys. If if there was a company that sold bottled water like flavored bottled water and one of the flavors was a hot dog, would you buy it? I would try yes. it. I would try it. I would try it. You drink Limon Pepino, Justin. You need to take that condescension out of your voice. I, I didn't, there was no condescension in my voice and also just because you have no taste and can't appreciate lime cucumber. Colin, you don't. It's not that I can't, okay, I like lime and cucumbers. I love lime and cucumbers. I don't like Lime and cucumbers in Gatorade, which is just salty, shitty, thick water. It's the best flavor of Gatorade, and yeah. you can get off this podcast if you don't agree.
I'll be packing my things. <laughs> I'll be clearing out my desk. Like, Colin, you don't have a desk. You'll be receiving an affidavit from my lawyer stating that I was unaware of the views of this organization before I joined. And had I known, I would not have joined to begin with. Your severance is in the mail. It's just a picture of my butt. Yeah, yeah, it's a Xerox picture of my ass. Well, as long as there's a little bit of ball in it, I find that acceptable. There's enough. There's enough. There's enough. See, doesn't that brighten your day and bring your thoughts away from Nestle literally poisoning a country that it's simultaneously subjecting to a horrific drought? And profiting off of it. Speaking of droughts, in 2015, Nestle Nestle extracted 36 million gallons of water from the San Bernardino National Forest in California. Wait, hold on. To sell as bottled water. Weren't they like in a record-breaking drought? Well, historic drought. Historic drought. It was the worst that they'd seen in like over 100 years. And uh, the permit that Nestle used to operate that pipeline uh, had been expired for 27 years. <laughs> 27 years, they just said it. So I'll tell you what, guys. Let's stop renewing our driver's licenses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll see just the same amount of consequences that Nestle did for their, you know, license is expiring, right? I'd get my teeth kicked out on the side of the freeway by some fucking roided out pig be fun and i'd have a good time with it well then of course nestle saw some significant fines for this right no because in 2018 the u.s forest service gave them a new three-year permit well did they pay any fines or no they just paid the 524 dollar annual cost to operate the pipeline they make 90 (laughs) they make over 90 billion dollars a year in profit where's my pitchfork and they pay the amount that i pay in taxes on like a single paycheck for an entire year for 36 million gallons of water from a place that catches on fire eight months out of the year i would like to say um it's really interesting why california catches on fire all the time it's those shifty aussies that did it some some opportunistic Aussie tree salesman showed up and sold these dumbass Californians a bunch of eucalyptus trees about a hundred years ago. They planted them. They didn't tell them that, like, once a fucking year, once the dry season hits, they explode and catch everything around them on fire. Yeah. But it's a fact. Look at Americans up. have never been smart, Colin. We are... We're such we're the perfect conable people and we deserve all the bad things that happen to us, except we don't because it's not fair because children live here. <sighs> and not just the ones in government. No, speaking of children. <laughs> and we're not just we talking about those... Ted Cruz again, am I right? Hey yo. <laughs> uh, they decoded one of his letters. <laughs> the 340 cipher. Yeah. <laughs> they just say they decoded one of his letters. Yes. Yeah. I saw that yesterday oh. immediately. I was like, ah, oh, Ted Cruz is shaking in his boots. Oh no, they're going to get him. They're going to get him. Oh, speaking of children, we have those in Michigan. Yeah, we have a few. We also have Nestle in Michigan. In 2001, they began pumping water out of the Muskegon River 
uh, and the surrounding area is groundwater. Great. Now, they're, they're, the plant that they built there was highly publicized at the time, was as publicized as it could be uh, following and predating 9-11 uh, in America, because that just wiped out all other news that existed. But uh, in 2001, they would em- end up uh, opening this plant. There was a civilian group that opposed it. There was multiple indigenous groups of people that opposed it. Uh, a lower court uh, in the years following would actually end up finding that their pump, their proposed pumping rate, what they wanted to pump at, was uh, 400 gallons per minute. They would find that that was unreasonable. 400 gallons per minute, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, but th- that was unreasonable. Like the court, they, they made a good decision because you know there was already observable damage to a bunch of the nearby wetlands and tributaries uh, from rates that were ranging from 160 to 315. Oh, so they shut the whole operation down, right? Well, not quite. Uh, in 2005, the Michigan Court of Appeals, uh, they would rule that, yes, it was unreasonable, the 400 gallons per minute, but that they could still keep pumping, even though it was already shown to be damaging the environment. Uh, they would settle on a 218, uh, 218 excuse me, gallons per minute uh, pumping rate. So, still more than what was already... Oh, yeah, right right in the middle of what was already destroying destroying the wildlife in, in Michigan. Was already, already, already killing, already killing animals. Was already killing trees and shit. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, that land, a lot of that land, is land that our state's water accord has promised uh, to be free use for indigenous peoples that historically owned the land for hunting and fishing uh, and other uh, outside activities. Because I don't know if you know this, if you're not, uh, you know, from a semi-rural state like Michigan, but, you know, when you go deer hunting and you're from the city or you're from a, a metro area, it's just a fun time, right? You hang out. Yeah. At night, with all your buddies, you're drinking beer, you're smoking black and miles to keep the skeeters off of you. Eating fried chicken. Eating, you're probably not eating fried chicken. You're just hanging out. You're getting, it's, it's a good excuse to drink in the morning. And then, you know, hey, maybe you kill a deer, maybe you don't. But whatever, you had a good time with your boys. You know, like that picture, Ted Cruz posters of, of him shooting that deer. But uh, if you're from, like, a rural area... Hunting a deer isn't something you do for fun. I mean, you do do it for fun. But hunting a deer is something you do because you know it's going to feed your family for six months. Um, And for a group as underserved in terms of food and health and human services, like the indigenous people of not just Michigan, but the entire country are, that's really important uh, because they also have one of the highest rates of obesity and some of the highest rates of childhood malnutrition. Because the food that they can get is literally killing them. So you you would think that that Nestle would be uh, presented this that information that you just said. I mean, they were and have for over a decade. No, they just don't care. <laughs> well, they just their their internal scientists didn't agree that as much that enough wildlife damage was happening because their their first proposition back in two thousand one was that there was so much water in Michigan that 
their excavation would not significantly damage the environment, or, or would not damage the environment. And then the the argument turned into it won't significantly damage the environment. Mm. And now they're saying it's not significant enough. I love yeah, all. I love all of this. I love this arbitrary language that they use where it's like, oh, it's not going to significantly damage it. And it's like, okay, what do you consider significant then? Well, that's exactly the point of using the arbitrary language so they can move the goalpost. They always move. They're not just moving the goalpost. They put that bitch on goddamn wheels. Uh, So we're going to take a, we're going to move away from their Osceola counter plant for a minute. Uh, and we're going to talk about a city that you probably have heard of um, in Michigan, Flint. It's been highly publicized. 2014, we found out Flint had uh, a serious water crisis on its hands. Rick Snyder, governor governor of Michigan at the time. Shout out to Ricky Snides. Yeah, shout out to Dick Snyder. Yeah, Gov- Governor R- Rick Snyder and his administration had decided to switch Switch the city's plumbing, their water um, infrastructure, from Saint Clair, uh, Lake Saint Clair, Saint Lake uh, Saint Clair River, which had been feeding the community relatively, relatively clean, fresh water for decades. Yeah, that switch was totally unnecessary. They end, they would end up switching it to infrastructure that had been abandoned since like the 60s because it would save them a few bucks on their annual budget what we know now and presumably what they knew then was that that infrastructure well it hadn't been maintained and it hadn't even been fucking cleaned so not only was there a shit ton of fucking lead in it it was also full of tons and tons and tons of dangerous bacteria. So in 2015, this pretty much became a national news story. And I don't know if you remember 2015, 2016, we had a big general election that was pretty uh, starting to heat up early 2016, late 2015. It was starting to, you know, we were starting to see all these fucking psychos come out of the woodwork, just glassy eyes staring into cameras. Yeah. But then America became great again. So. We're fine now, right? Yep. We all have totally clean water. We all have a bunch of money from trickle-down economics. Like, everything's great now. So, uh, in 2016, because this had become kind of a big celebrity cause to champion and talk about so that you could sell, like, a new pair of shoes or, like, get an Instagram sponsorship or something. Or sell a bunch of cars. Um, Sell a bunch of cars, Elon Musk. Whatever. Fucking Elon Musk. What a fucking loser. Oh, there will be an episode um, about Elon Musk here coming up probably ooh, relatively yeah. soon. Yeah, he makes all of us want to pull all our hair out, but then we would look too much like hey, Elon Musk. Hey, he's not like the other barons, okay? He's not like the other barons. He was in the emerald business. His dad was. He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. His that. dad was. And he carried. Oh, his dad? Yeah, he carried around a bag full of jewels to show off to people in college. He was that guy. Anyway, enough about Elon. Oh, oh I hate Jewel Jerry, the guy who would show up in my Anthropology 101 class. Yeah, he'd just show up with a 
an emerald the size of his fist and be like, oh, isn't that cool? Is he did kill Mr. Wayne? An emerald the size of his fist. Uh, Michael Caine aside, in 2016, um, outgoing President Barack Obama would speak in Flint at Northwestern High School. Northwestern High School uh, was relatively known for a long time to be a huge feeder school for college basketball. College basketball is an enormous thing in Michigan, um, especially in that region because um, you have Lansing, super nearby, Michigan State. MSU has one of the best college basketball teams um, in the country. And especially Flint being a relatively uh, a poor city, um, having that opportunity to be a feeder school into college basketball is huge because that's probably the only way that most of these kids are going to be able to afford to go to a decent college. Is that a fat athletics college? Yeah, which they exploit them and past that, but horrifically, yeah. horrifically. That's another episode. <laughs> That is that is a whole other episode, um, and we, and it does b- bear mentioning as well that Flint is only two hours away from the Osceola uh, County plant um, that's pumping uh, water for. Yep, that's where they so, make Ice Mountain water. By the way, everybody, three point yep. five million well, bottles a day. So in 2016, Obama would go to Northwestern High School uh, to speak to the people of Flint, um, and he would address a lot of issues. It was an election year. Flint is a majority black city. Uh, black people obviously aren't a, a monolith, but they do tend to vote more Democrat than Republican. I think it's about 84% last time I checked. So it's a big, important election. Hillary Clinton, not, <laughs> weirdly enough, not very popular amongst black people who in the 1990s she would label as super predators. Yeah, and did she even mention Flint when she was running? Did, she, did that even come out of her mouth? Um, Actually, this this isn't something I put in the notes. Uh, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton would end up going to Flint for the Democratic primary. I don't know if you guys remember this. It was one of the last debates of the Democratic primary. Uh-huh. Um, They would end up going there, and they fed Hillary Clinton the debate questions from the crowd before the debate happened nice her staff had gotten a hold of these like flint mothers because there was a a flint mothers org who they were the ones who'd been tapped to to speak and ask questions and when the flint mothers found out about it they said they would never vote for um, the democrats ever again yeah which flint is a huge population Flint, like the county that Flint's in, is a gigantic portion of the population. If of you've Michigan. ever owned, if you've ever owned a GM car, somebody in Flint or somebody they're related to had worked on yep. it. Yeah, any of them, Fl- any of the cars. Flint's, Flint is a huge uh, city to take because it's the majority of the county, and that county has a hell of a lot of people that live there. Yeah, it's like it's. It's comparable to, like, Pontiac in Oakland County. Yeah. But, obviously, Oakland County also has other shit in it. But not not the point. Not the point. Anyway, so in 2016, Obama went there as, you know, a a president who, like, broke records for percentages of black voters and people who were previously non-voters and black who came out to vote for him. 
Um, and he gave a speech, and we're going to pull a segment over here because it's very relevant to what we're talking about today. So, uh, editing, Tyler, roll the clip. That's how we invested in community colleges and land-grant colleges like Michigan State. <laughs> we invest... Uh, can, can I get some water? Come on up there. Give me some water. I want, I want a glass of water. I want a glass of water. Sit down. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Well, I'm still waiting for my water. Somebody obviously didn't hear me. Hold, hold on a second. Now, the reason I know I'm okay is because I already had some Flint water. Here we go. I really did need a glass of water. This is not a stunt. Now, I'm going to talk about this. Everybody settle down. This is a feisty crowd. It's not a stunt. All right, so. No, nope, it's not, not, a, stunt. not a stunt. It's not a stunt. Can't be it's a what stunt. you say when it's not a stunt. So I don't know if you guys heard at the beginning of that clip. Um, you know, he makes a joke about, like, want, want some water, right? And there's, like, chuckles that come out of the crowd, right? It's not everybody laughing, but you. You can hear there's some laughs. Yeah, because at that point, it's probably a dead joke. It's it's a dead joke, but also, like, you're in this community. You're in these circumstances. Well, it's not funny. Either, it's not funny to them. Either, either. well, that's the thing. It's like, you either laugh about it, or you are so filled with despair, you just lay down on the ground. It's not a stunt. Nah, it's not a stunt. It's not a stunt. So if you heard at the beginning of the clip, there was, uh, you heard, you, you heard Obama talk about wanting some water and he goes oh i want a glass of water and like the the few chuckles that you heard before give way to like a majority gasps and cries of horror and people screaming no no don't don't because for years now they've been subjected to this poisonous water that is killing them killing their kids literally families in flint were taking their dogs and cats outside into their backyards and shooting them because they would rather kill them outright or bring them to the pound to be put down rather than watch them get sick from the water that they had to give them. Not to mention the thousands of kids who will have lifelong health problems from anywhere from Legionnaire's disease to a myriad of issues with their circulatory systems, their digestive systems, lead fucking destroys your insides. And on top of that, the water was full of bacteria too that was just making them outright sick and infecting them and giving these, these myriad of diseases. And this chuckling motherfucker is making jokes about it and insisting, I want a glass of water. And he goes, I know I'm okay because I already had the Flint water. Obama spoke here at Northwestern High School 
May of 2016, when it was politically advantageous for him to do so. Months prior, in January of 2016, the Detroit News had run a short article about Northwestern High School's basketball team and all the water bottles they were using because water had been turned off in that high school the year previous at the beginning of their high school's football season. Where did he get the water from then? What a great fucking question. So you hear him make that joke about apparently somebody didn't hear me. Yeah. No, somebody did hear him, but they had to go off site to go get him water and put it in a glass because there was no access to that water there. And he's insisting that it's safe to drink. And now, the reason that I bring this up, the reason we're including this in a segment about Michigan water, about Nestle taking water from underprivileged areas, from areas where they know there's not enough people with the money and the time to fight back, is because the Michigan government knew what they were doing when they switched Flint's water infrastructure. They knew what they were doing when they granted them the right to pump there. And Obama knew what he was doing in 2016 when he lied about drinking the water and when he told them it was safe. Government knows what these people do. They know what these corporations do. They let it happen anyway because it makes them money. They get money through the myriad lobbies that exist. They make money through corporate donations to their re-election campaigns. These companies, and it's something we're going to hit on throughout our show, through multiple episodes, through multiple series, we're going to come back to this point again and again and again. The reason these corporations do these things is because the government lets them, whether that's the provincial government in Pakistan letting the Karachi plant open, whether that's the U.S. Forest Service renewing an illegal permit after a company ravaged a, uh, an entire fucking state, one of the, like, the fourth largest economy in the world, while it's on fire, just pump water out of the water table that would literally prevent those fires. Yeah, there's an incredible amount of government enabling in in these types of cases that's just absolutely disgusting. And it's not a partisan issue either. No, no, it's Democrats, it's Republicans, uh, yeah, it's, it's everybody. It, it turns out, regardless of which party you vote for, you still need to drink water to stay alive. And apparently, regardless of which party you're you're in and are elected official for, you don't care. Yeah, I mean, they would privatize the fucking air if they could. They already privatized water at this point. You can buy stocks of water futures now. It's absolutely literally. Gross. That is another reason that we decided to re-record these two episodes is because right after we recorded them, it was released that it was going to be moving that the Chicago Mercantile Exchange was moving forward with offering water futures. Something they announced late last year. They are they're actually moving forward with it. Horrifying. And the reason. We specifically harp on Obama, or at least the reason I decided it was important is because fuck if that clip isn't goddamn bone chilling, knowing what you know about Flint and the water there. But also highlights the fact that even a president that most people at the very least feel okay about, that he was, you know, maybe he wasn't, didn't do the best things, but he had these issues, you know, is Congress wouldn't work with him, blah, 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 whatever. He didn't care, and he lied to these people who were getting sick and dying in front of him with a smile. 
And it didn't matter that he was a Democrat, just like it wouldn't have mattered if he was a Republican. Just like it wouldn't matter if he was a fucking libertarian or anything else. Anybody in government who isn't out there fighting every single day to stop these people either doesn't care or is actively working for them. So a year after that speech in 2017, the Ice Mountain plant in Osceola County is drawing 1.1 million gallons a day from nine wells. Two of those wells are owned by the town of Evart, or I get they call it a city, but it's a city of fucking 1,500 people. The average age is 38, and the median household income is just over $25,000, which is below the state poverty line. So if it is technically a city, it's a city of people struggling every single goddamn day. These are people who work mainly agricultural and industrial jobs, which are industries that need water to operate. If you work in a manufacturing plant in Osceola County, guess what? You need to clean down machines. You need to use water uh, as, as part of your coolant solution. If you work in fucking agricultural, yeah, it's pretty clear why you fucking need water for that. In 2016, Nestle paid $313,000 for 88 million gallons of water because the city was charging them the same rate as residents, $3.50 per thousand gallons. And since Nestle had started pumping out of these wells, it had actually risen to $3.50. It used to be below $2.50. So these people who are barely able to save money to provide for their families, to provide for themselves, who are already struggling, are indirectly having more money taken out of their accounts because of what Nestle's doing. Because the city and the local government, who's letting Nestle do whatever the fuck they want, refuses to realize that you can charge a company that makes billions of dollars in excess every year and that they're gonna they're not gonna be hurt from it nearly as much as a family that's barely able to put fucking food on the table. Now, if you did the math, eighty-eight million gallons, three hundred thirteen thousand dollars over the course of a year, it's about one hundred sixty-seven gallons per minute. And you go, wow, that's way better than what they wanted to do—the four hundred gallons per minute. Again, still bears repeating. Still a rate well within the range where we showed damage to the local water table and to local wetlands. And in 2018, the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, uh, the DEQ now relabeled the EGLE. That's how long Nestle has been pumping water out of Michigan, is the environmental agency meant to do something, anything about it, went through an entire rebranding process. So in 2018, Michigan Department of Environmental Quality ended the free water program uh, for Flint. So they'd been delivering cases of bottled water to Flint, a lot of it being from the Ice Mountain plant, uh, an Absopure plant that's unaffiliated with Nestle, but also hugely damaging the environment around it. And the reason they were doing that is because they tested Flint's water quality. It was below federal action levels for two years. So the federal action level is 15 parts per billion of lead. The water they tested was at four parts per billion of lead. I would argue zero parts per billion is how much lead you want in your water, but who am I? Not a scientist, clearly. 
The problem was the water they were testing was from the main lines. So the water line that would like run down the center of your street if you lived in a suburb. But they weren't testing the water that was coming out of the lines that came off of those lines that brought the water to the house. And they weren't testing water inside of people's homes. Which were still caked in tons of lead and harmful bacteria. People in Flint in 2020 still can't use their faucets. They still take showers by pouring a bunch of bottles of water into pots and heating it up over the stove. If they get, if you get the gallons, you're lucky because you can fill up the tub faster. In 2020, an administrative law judge would up uphold a state permit for Nestle, which would not only allow them to continue operating their plant, but would allow them to increase their pumping rate to their previously offered 400 gallons a minute, which would be a 60% increase from their previous average pumping capacity. And that would be from Evart, who I'm sure are going to see an increase in the rate for their water bills, and for the people of Flint, who I'm sure are going to see an increase in the price for the bottles of water that they get, which they are no longer being provided for by a government that doesn't care whether they live or die. We opened this segment with a quote from Nestle's CEO, where he makes a big point about the price of water. And as we said earlier, Nestle isn't the entity that pays for it. It's working class people like you, like me, like the people of Flint, like the people of Karachi, like the people in California, people who are struggling to provide their families already, who are struggling to keep their homes from burning down, from their children to get sick, to just feed themselves, period. So I think it'd be nice to end the segment with another quote from former Nestle CEO, Peter Burback Lamath. Apparently, people got a little uppity when they heard him say what he said in that documentary, We Feed the World. Imagine that. And like I said, I'm sure you saw the headlines, people saying Nestle CEO doesn't think water is a human right. Well, turns out that that's on paper bad for business, although I'm sure the declines in profit Nestle saw were either negligible or zero. So in 2013, Nestle releases this blog post from Peter Brabac Lamath to clarify his statement. And I do, I do think it actually does clarify his statement, just not in the way that he thinks. He says, let me be clear. He says, let me be very clear about this again here on the blog, because I think the video clip, which took my views out of context, isn't clear about the point I was trying to make. The water you need for survival is a human right and must be made available to everyone, wherever they are, even if they cannot afford to pay for it. However, I do also believe that water has a value. People using the water piped into their home to irrigate their lawn or wash their car should bear the cost of the infrastructure needed to supply it. 
well, how come his company doesn't bear the cost of pumping it and selling it back to us? That's a fair point. He says, even if they cannot afford to pay for it, unless you live in Pakistan or California or Michigan or in the hundreds of other plants around the world where Nestle pumps water. He mentions people using water piped into their home to irrigate their lawn or wash their car should bear the cost of the infrastructure needed to supply it. The people of Flint can't use the water pumped into their home to irrigate their lawn or wash their car because it would kill their lawn if they could afford to have a lawn or wash their car. Well, they can't because it would strip the fucking paint off of your car. They can't do that. So even the examples that he gives in this clarifying statement that's meant to humanize him and clarify his statement and make it clear that, oh, I care about people. Everyone should be able to have water. Ignores the obvious resource misallocation that's going on here. That they're pumping millions, tens of millions of gallons every year. Two hours fucking west of a city full of victims of severe water inequality. Of the plant outside Karachi, whose initial purpose was literally to fuel a fucking military that wants nothing more than to ravage the region that it's pulling water out of and is just looking for an excuse. Clearly, Nestle has a friend, and it's not you, and it's not me. It is governments around the world. It is investors around the world. And you're, they're right. Water does have a price. It's your human rights, your human dignity, and in the case of people like Pakistanis in Karachi, Californians near San Bernardino, and the people of Flint, their own goddamn lives. I think it was a pretty funny segment. I think I think we got our yeah. Yeah, it's hilarious. I've yeah, been yeah, laughing yeah, yeah, the whole yeah. time. Yes, that was absolutely hilarious, and we are only gonna get funnier on today's episode. Oh God. Ugh. So honestly, don't you guys love when you're in an improv class? They're like, "All right, all right, all right. Give me a place. Give me a place. Give me a place." You're like, "Child plantation." Speaking of child plantations. Um, so if you, if you look underneath your chairs, gentlemen, um, I've, I've left you a nice, a nice, uh, dark chocolate Kit Kat bar. Oh, is it, is it under this photocopy of your Yes, butt? yes, it is. Okay. All right. There's a picture of you giving me the middle finger. Under yeah. That. Is that under that? Uh, there's still one more. Oh, come, it's your balls. God damn. Yeah. Ah, you knew we gotta get yeah. it. Squeeze that one in. Oh, there's a chocolate. Oh, okay, so it's, it's a dark chocolate, chocolate Kit Kat. Oh, specifically a Kit yeah. Kat. How much cacao do you think they put? I'd in say I, I. It's pretty light. I'd say I'd say maybe fifty. Fifty percent yeah. cacao. Yeah, I, I preferably right. like more cacao. I'm more. I'm. I'm a more cacao person. Well, I'm gonna take a bite. Oh. It's tasty, huh? And if it's and t- if you tasty. notice, fifty percent. And cacao, if you right? notice, um, on the front of that package, it has the the fair trade logo on it. Uh, telling you that. Oh, that, yeah. that's that. That makes me feel. That means that you know they they weren't doing anything nefarious. They weren't like using the blood of children to water their cocoa fields, because it's own it's fair trade. Yeah, and the funny part is, is it's only on Kit Kat bars, because they use all of the cocoa that they've gotten not from places that had child slavery 
and use that specifically in Kit Kats so they could put that logo on it. So you're so you're saying that it is 50% cacao, but not 50% child not slavery. Not Kit Kats, but everything else involves child slavery. So let's take a little trip uh, across the Atlantic Ocean into the panhandle of Africa. It's a country called the Ivory Coast, or, or Cote d'Ivoire, because they speak French there, because, you know, colonization. Yeah, you know. The French didn't I was do about to say, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know black people spoke French. Well, they do if their entire country was ravaged by the French for spices that, that they never used in any of their traditional food. But uh, French food is actually pretty good. And here's the here's the hill I'm going to die on is that it, it's good, but only because butter's good. Yeah. All right. And if 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 the French weren't allowed to use butter or wine in their cooking, everything they cooked would taste like it came out of Ohio. So in the in the panhandle of Africa, the Ivory Coast or Cote d'Ivoire. It's bordered to the north by a country called Mali and bordered to a country to the east named Ghana. I thought you were going to say ecstasy. Ah, you'd think so. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought that's how they named countries in Africa. They just name them after party. Yeah, drugs. for sure. Hey, so the Ivory Coast produces four billion pounds of cocoa every year. That's a lot of scratch. So, that's, that's a, a lot of cocoa. A lot of cocoa. So on these on the farms where the cocoa is produced, the cocoa pods are cut off trees and they're opened by placing the pod in your hand and hacking the thick outer layer of the pod with a machete. And then the beans, fun, fun, fun. yeah, then the beans are laid out in the sun to dry. And then companies purchase them for about a dollar a kilo, the the exporters. From there the exporters clean package and sell these these beans. And then they're sold to the chocolate companies. Current price being $2.23 per kilo of cocoa beans. One kilo of cocoa pods makes 40 chocolate bars. It's a pretty good margin. I would Seems say like so. you could sell these at a very uh, profitable margin. Yeah, yeah, and the, the best part of the whole thing is that uh, child and forced labor run rampant on these farms. Oh, God. Uh, stu- like, like, like a summer camp? Yeah. They're making, like, lanyards and shit? No, they're like a no, family they're hacking cocoa pods open with machetes as a nine-year-old. I... When I was nine, I wasn't even allowed to use the microwave by myself. Yeah, uh-huh. It's great. So... A study by Fortune magazine said there are approximately 2.1 million children in these West African countries, quote, still doing the dangerous and physically tasking work of harvesting cocoa. According to a 2015 Cocoa Barometer report, the average Ivory Coast farmer, not the people working on the farm, the farmer, the person who owns the farm, makes 50 cents a day. 50 cents a day. That is... Almost a quarter of the mark of extreme poverty, which is a dollar ninety cents per day. I, I would like to mention here that when they mention poverty line and countries that are impoverished, that is the metric that they are using. A dollar ninety a day. A day. That's not even two McChickens. That's not even that's not even I, I can't even get a goddamn uh double cheeseburger for a dollar ninety. Yeah. So they're they're saying like and also, like, you may be asking yourself or saying to yourself, if you're 
kind of a psycho that just talks out loud to yourself all the time like I am. Well, these countries, like the American dollar, like has so much more value. Please, go ahead. Spend the 45 minutes that I did when Tyler told me about this going through Google and doing conversion rates. Because guess what? It's Even if they were making a $1.90, it's not enough to live on. And they're making a fucking quarter of that. Yep. So all of the major chocolate companies in the world came together in 2001 and said they would have a 70% reduction in child labor on these farms by 2020. Heads up, it's 2020. Um, and just this year, Nestle said they can only trace 49% of their supply. They can only trace 49% of their supply, and yet they said by this year, there would be 70% less child labor on the farms that they buy from. In a report by New Food Economy and Child Laboring Initiatives, these child laboring initiatives have been helpful, but is reaching, quote, less than 20% of the 2 million children impacted. 20%. Is that 70? Am I crazy? No, Also, no. They, 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 you mentioned in the other segment, like, they use very purposefully evasive language. Like, oh, it's, it's not doing significant damage environment. It's the same in this segment as it is, oh, we can't trace. 50%. We're not able to trace. We haven't yeah. we haven't been able to trace. It's like, oh no, you can. You're choosing not to. It's almost like it's a very legally specific and convenient amount. It's almost like there are international laws about, oh, if you use majority fucking slave labor, then we start stripping assets or at the very least paying fines. It's almost like that's something that happens all the time. And they're doing it on purpose because if more of their co cocoa was properly sourced, um, we would find out so much that they wouldn't be allowed to be a company anymore. Or maybe they would. Who's to fucking say? Because they say, oh, well, we don't own these farms. We can't, you know, monitor the labor practices on these farms. They profited $15 billion, billion with a B, $15 billion last year. Make your own supply chain. Make your own farms, your own exporters. If they really gave a shit about reducing child labor, they would do that in a heartbeat but they don't care and you you said they don't own these farms which it's a shitty fucking it's a argument, shitty argument but, but it's fair. an argument i you don't it's, own it's it. an argument whatever it, right yeah. so you can you can say that oh well we can't always tell that the cocoa we're getting comes it's not like it's not like there's going to be testimonials from some of these former child slaves that say they saw somebody affiliated with nestle who works for nestle show up on these farms see all the child slaves not say or do anything about it and then go back to nestle to collect a paycheck it's not like we have those testimonials right tyler yeah we do but here's the thing is they say we're such a big company we can't monitor this kind of stuff that would be way too much right starbucks Starbucks monitors all of their coffee production 100% of the time because they made their own supply chain. It's not this crazy radical idea that nobody's done before. They have the money. That's not the issue. It's that they don't care one bit. I'm going to read it from NORC.org now. The data from a 2018-19 survey round show that among children living in agricultural households and cocoa growing areas, 
45% were engaged in child labor. 45%. While the prevalence rate of child labor did not increase in the high cocoa production areas, it increased substantially in low and medium production areas. And not only just, you know, quote unquote, easy labor, there was also a similar trend in the hazardous labor section. Historic trends indicate that amid a 62% increase in cocoa production in Cote d'Ivoire and Ghana between 2008 and 2009, the prevalence of child labor in cocoa production among all agricultural households increased by 14 percentage points. Increased. Didn't decrease. Increased. So beyond that, in 2005, NGO international right advocates filed suits against Nestle. The plaintiffs of this suit were six former child slaves at a cocoa farm in Cote d'Ivoire. Every single one of them, all six of these kids, which are now men now, they were trafficked from Mali, which is a very common thing. I watched a documentary called The Dark Side of Chocolate, which is one of it's one of the most depressing things I have ever seen in my entire life. I had to sit there and watch a kid who couldn't be more than eight or nine years old sitting at a bus stop in Mali crying because he couldn't find the man who is trafficking him because the man left him there at a bus stop hundreds of miles away from his house a child something similar would happen to me when my mom would bring me to target sometimes but i was usually just playing yeah that was similar colin you 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 you. (laughs) i mean as comparable as a as a young polish boy from metro detroit can relate to being a child slave uh sometimes i would get lost at a target and my mom would have the employees come over the intercom and tell me to come up front and then she would spank me in public. It's why I had to wear a leash as a child. I'm sure you were a leash leash kid. I'm just saying I, I understand. You can, you, can I, you can identify. You can identify. I wasn't I wasn't that fat, but I did have a lot of uh, iner- inertia. Oh, man, you, you, you're dense. You were like a dying son. You're still not that fat, Colin. You're just like a fucking big dude. <laughs> yeah, you're just you're dense. You don't get to call a man who's six foot four. He's dense. Pretty- Six foot three, but thank I appreciate the, the courtesy inch. Not saying he's fab, saying he's dense. He's thick. He's a thick boy, yes. and I like it. You should come over here. I mean, we should all come like over it. here later on, Colin. You guys are talking about me as a child. Can we get back to the child slavery? <laughs> That's more comfortable for me to talk about. Oh, I'm I'm talking about sure. you now. Why don't you come over later, Colin? Stop. You up? You up? You up? No, stop. And text you at three in the morning drunk tonight like you up. I know you're going to. We both work in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I know. You'll be up. I know I'll be up. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, uh, yeah. Why? why? What are you wearing? Be like, what you, <laughs> what you doing? So anyway, back to the child slaves. Um, So that case is still ongoing 15 years after the original filing. Um, Because Nestle claims that they don't own the farms, so they're not responsible for the labor practices. Um, and they also pull the pull the rug out from under us, you know, post-Citizens United, keep in mind, uh, that, oh, they're a corporation, not an individual. You can't make a suit against us for child slavery. 
This is the dystopia that we live in. Uh, I would I would just like to say here. I would like to say I know it's great. I love it. I would like to say um, if if you quote unquote like your congressman, see how they voted on Citizens United or what they said yeah. about it. Just look. It's it's all fucking publicly available. Just look and then call their office 115 times. Yeah. Don't send them one of those stupid form letters either. They don't, those don't do shit. The form email, stupid bullshit. Call and then berate an intern until you can just speak yeah, to somebody. Yeah, don't send the stupid form emails. Those don't do anything. Or the form letters. They just sit They sit in a spam yeah, folder. Yeah, they don't care. Or better yet, show up at their home. Those are all publicly available uh, residences. You can find their address by Googling. Show up there with a with a poster and say, I'm going to stay here until you vote to repeal Citizens United and badger them every day until they either pull a Bud Dwyer or do the right thing, which may involve pulling a Bud yeah. Dwyer. So uh, the case has been brought back up recently because there's still been no ruling on it. There's been no reparations. There's been no ruling about anything within the past 15 years, which I'm sure these people are not really looking for money. But giving them some money would be a nice thing because they were literal child slaves. It would be a start. So Nestle's attorney said, quote, this case is about a 15 year old lawsuit brought against the wrong defendant in the wrong place under the wrong statute. The true wrongdoers are the Malian and Ivorian traffickers, the farmers, and the overseers. Mist now, what was the name of that attorney? Uh, oh, no, oh, no. I'm that, sorry. We'll cut that out. So we're going to talk about a man for a little bit who's a lawyer for Nestle, a specific lawyer, because there's lots of, lots of just juicy quotes from this guy. His name is Neil Kotchall. Damn, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Where have yeah, I heard it, that it name? It does, doesn't it? Colin, would you like to uh, inform the listening audience? Hey, do you guys do you guys remember when uh, Trump put out that that super uh, Islamophobic uh, air travel ban, where if you were from certain Muslim majority countries, you weren't allowed on airplanes, and there was a whole kerfuffle about it because it was something that Democrats could actually oppose without uh, pissing off their corporate overlords, because you know. That would actually give like the airline corporations more money, which they're in the pocket of on top of everything else. So it was very politically convenient for them to do and say something about it. It would end up getting getting overturned relatively quickly, and the families detained um, weren't uh, incredibly traumatized by the event. Obviously, it sucks. You're being dehumanized. But obviously, if you can afford to be in an airport, there is a certain degree of privilege that you already have. Um, one of the main, <laughs> one of the main, uh. Uh, attorneys that worked on getting that um, overturned or at the very least was interviewed by a series of media outlets uh, decrying it was Neil Katya lifelong like democratic supporter uh, attorney for the Democrats in certain instances. He's a self-proclaimed liberal, liberal and we're going to say self-proclaimed liberal and progressive a lot throughout this show because you see all the time just like obama and flint just like you know the government of california 
where you know they get labeled as oh these libtards, these these lip cooks, these soy boy snowflakes. It's like oh no, these guys are bloodless fucking mutants that would gladly argue that there's a statute of limitations on child slavery to make a few fucking bucks off a global corporation rather than actually have real morals or principles that would actually help people out. So that's when we complain about the democratic party and we're going to fucking do it a lot, or at least I know I fucking am. It's not because I like conservatives, but it's because I'm not going to lay around and expect them to do the right thing. When I watch them take money for, from literal child slavers and from just absolute grub people like Neil Katja. <laughs> Liberal progressive hero Neil Kotchal, uh said that the victims should sue in the African courts or Congress should pass a specific law to these exact abuses. A judge, Mr. Samuel Alito, who is... Uh, not an angel himself. Um, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, just search him up. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, I will say, in these court proceedings, he is doing some good work. He's doing good work in these specific courts, uh, court proceedings. I will, I will give him credit for that. He said, "Quote: You would say that the victims." should be thrown out of court in the United States where this corporation is headquartered and does business. Mr. Kotchal had a few things to say, but he reiterated his point when he said they should sue an African court or Congress should pass a law specific to these abuses. So in 2013, courts in the United States ruled that foreign corporations were immune from suits in the United States, partially because the liability could cause issues with diplomatic relations, and could cause American companies to have lawsuits in other countries. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts said, quote, In this case, no foreign country has objected to the United States hauling its own citizens into its own courts, so why should we be cautious in terms of international relations? What objection would foreign countries have to ensuring that U.S. corporations Follow customary international law. I, I do love that too, where it's like, hey guys, hey guys, we don't wanna we don't wanna mess with the country's popular sovereignty here. You know, as America, we we hate doing that. We don't like doing that. That's definitely why we're not still in Afghanistan. Yeah. Twenty years later, it's because we respect the legal systems of foreign yep. countries. So Justice Alito, along with other justices, seemed a little reluctant to fully immunize American corporations for their human rights abuses that they would commit overseas. And he said, quote, Suppose a U.S. corporation makes a big show of supporting every case de jure, but then surreptitiously hires agents in Africa to kidnap children and keep them in bondage on these plantations so that corporations can buy cocoa or coffee or some other agricultural product at bargain prices. You would say that the victims who couldn't possibly get any recovery in the courts of the country where they had been held should be thrown out of court in the United States where this corporation is headquartered and does business. And Mr. Kotchal said, I don't think your hypothetical states, a violation of the Alien Tort Statute, 
because there's no domestic injury. Would you look at that? Americans aren't directly harmed. It's not American child slaves. So therefore, it's not a damn problem. This is the company under a microscope. This is what they give a shit about. They don't care if it's kids risking their life every day to make their stupid chocolate bars. As long as they make money on them, they don't give a goddamn shit about it. Nestle's profits last year were over $15 billion. But for some reason, they think that ending the child labor issue for their products shouldn't come out of their pockets. They said, quote, while we are of the view that mandatory requirements are sensible, in practical terms, this difference means that multinational companies will have to prepare bespoke statements for each country that they are required to report. And they continued to say, not all suppliers may bear these costs themselves. Some may pass them on to consumers. We would have to pay for it. They profited $15 billion last year, and we have to pay to make sure that our chocolate isn't made with child slavery. I'm going to end my segment now with a quote from another chief justice. Her name is Elena Kagan. She asked in these court proceedings, if you could bring a lawsuit against 10 slaveholders, when those 10 slaveholders form a corporation, why can't you bring a lawsuit against the corporation? And I've never heard something summed up as perfectly as that. If someone, if an individual commits a crime, then they will face consequences. But if it's a corporation, they won't. The most they'll face is a fine. Let's say the United States fines Nestle a billion dollars. And that's very, very out there that they would find them a billion dollars. That barely even scratches their profits. It's disgusting. And to wrap up this episode, I would really like to tell everybody to please do your research on your chocolate you buy. Please buy fair trade chocolate, official fair trade chocolate. Same thing goes for, you know, coffee, like anything that you know we can't produce in America or that we don't typically produce in America. Make sure that you're like, okay, this is an import. Where does it come from? Who makes it? Who's actually making it? It takes the five minutes. It takes you know? five minutes to search it. And and we get it like, you know, if you're a working class person, you're like, well, that's five minutes I could be spending with my kids. That's five minutes I need to make dinner. That's five minutes here and there. And that's fair. That's a fair point. Most working class people don't have extra time to share. But if you can, and if you know you can, just fucking do it. It's it's really not a difficult thing to do. It's it's very very simple. Do it while do it while and you're at work. Though, Get paid to do it. We don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah yeah. Fucking wage theft isn't theft. It's reclaiming what's yours. Fucking yeah. Go off, King. Slavery. Literal child slavery. An important thing to know that your shit is not coming from you know anywhere that uses child Quit slavery. Quit buying DiGiorno pizza. It's not better than delivery. It isn't. What's so to, they have Tombstone and DiGiorno and yep. Jacks? Yeah. What else is there? Uh, Aldi frozen pizza? Aldi oh, frozen yeah. pizza slaps, dude. I don't. Hey, you know what? I, I'm sure it's a bad idea to endorse a company that we haven't done an episode on. But uh, I love Aldi and they pay their workers an equitable uh, living wage and uh, they let their cashiers sit down. That so, is 
honestly it's, very important. It's very important. Honestly, if you can shop at Aldi, shop at Aldi. Uh, also, just don't buy their meat. Everything else is pretty their good. Their fish is actually pretty solid. Yeah, they, is it? Their pork's pretty cheap. I don't know. I haven't had their meat in a long time, but I always thought it was super sketchy because I found like bones in my ground meat one time. <laughs> I guess that's not a, I guess that's probably a selling point because it means that like there were, there, there was bones involved in the process, but no. Uh. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call it a selling point. We're going to go ahead and cut the episode off here. Mama Cozy's Pizza is owned by Aldi. It's not owned by Nestle. There we go. Sick. There Boom. We go. All right, Take cool. It. Well, thank you all for listening to our first real series, uh, our, our deep dive into the horrors of the global conglomerate known as Nestle. Holy shit, this was a lot. Uh, next episode, we're going to try and do something that we can hopefully get a few more jokes in edgewise. I'm talking about something that uh, an- another topic that is particularly close to the uh, the southeastern Mich- Michigan. Yeah, we'll give we you are. a hint. It's a topic where if you rear end it, it explodes. For Pinto. <laughs> I talk about the Corvair too. Sorry, I I I blew a little early, just like unsafe the at Pinto. any speed. Yeah, we'll, hey, uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Ralph Nader a little bit. Oh my God, I'm gonna scream about Ralph Nader, and not why you think. It's not just because he jerked well, off the pictures case, of him for four hours. No, yeah. no, it was only like thirty minutes, and that was for a spell. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thanks. Oh, oh, oh we, we, no, 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 Bye. we gotta plug our socials. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we didn't we do, that. do that. Well, the one social we uh, have. The one we social have. we have, it's uh, at WittyPod. W-I-T-I pod. Uh, on Twitter, if you want to send us an email, uh, if you want to talk shit, um, yell at us, tell us we're wrong about things. Fucking drop the Addy in the DMs. We will run up on you, and by run up on you, we will block you on Twitter Worst in the industry pod at gmail.com for all your dick pics, please. We don't want no smoke. Actually. <laughs> all right. So we'll see you guys later. Bye. 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 Bye.